Hi, everyone. It's Saturday at 1130 on WJFF, last Saturday of the month. And that means it is time for Travels with Triggs. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he going to talk to now? What's he going to talk about? Where are we going to go? Travels with Triggs. And we're back. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking to someone I adore, and I think you will, too. She's a stand-up comedian. She is an author. She is a mother. She is a wife. She is a daughter. And perhaps most importantly, she is a beauty pageant winner, a pageant winner, I have been told to say. We're going to be talking with Miss Senior New York, Nancy Witter. Hi, Nancy. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, great. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I'm so excited. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk about things from the beginning, kind of uh, in a chronology, if you will. And so, Nancy, you're a stand-up comedian. You are one of the funniest, most open, warmest people I have met performing comedy. How did you get started? Because I think it all begins with giving yourself permission, right? Yes. Um, and also not being married to your uh, your self-esteem too much. You have to, you know, kind of put the best part of yourself forward and not worry too much about, you know, what people think of you because you're having more fun. It's joyous communication. And part of that is giving of yourself. Um, I had a, an old friend, Ron Poole, who used to say, most comedians think they're givers when they're really takers. You know, you think you're giving because you're performing, but really you just want the applause and the attention. But done correctly, when you are genuinely giving, you it can put how you feel about yourself sort of on the back burner in order to entertain. You know, you would do uh, backflips for these people if you thought it would bring them joy and make them laugh. And so you don't worry too much about being embarrassed. I used to say, they're not going to follow me home. You know, they're not going to slap me across the face. And, um, but I started in 1995. I was, I was class clown. My father was very funny and he could really tell fun jokes and always did. He was the chairman of the board of a bank. And they would invite him to everything because he was a master joke teller. You know, think of like the Milton Berle style or Bob Hope. You know, he was in that era. Well, and, and just I, uh, worth pausing to mention, comedy is very often generational, right? Our generation kind of adapted that Borscht Belt. And we yes. have the, the audience listening happens to be in the Borscht Belt. So anyway, your father was like Milton Berle. That yes, he was. Yeah. So he would tell you know, these really funny jokes rather than material. I do, I do original material, but they would really just do jokes and very funny. But through that, I got to hear the fine art of timing. They call it timing, but it's really rhythm. Comedy, if you couldn't hear the words, you just heard the person saying it, it would sound rhythmical, like, Blada 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 blah blah. That's how it would sound. That's why so many great comics love incorporating music. Mel Brooks, 
to Bob Hope. There was always musical comedies. There was oh, every variety show on TV had some form, Carol Burnett, they always had a singer of some sort. The Judy Garland show had funny skits, musical skits. That's just because they're both rhythmical. So I understood through osmosis of watching my father how that rhythm and timing worked. So whether my material when I first started out was great or not, it didn't really matter because I could deliver it. I could, I just instinctively knew how to punch the punch and where, how not to use too many words in certain areas. Um, I teach comedy. And when I teach, I say, listen, you're going to get an act down and it's a script. If you watched Robin Williams in clubs, you'd see he said the same exact thing. Of course, you want to make it look like it's just coming off, but that's when they mean when they go, get your act together. That's what they get your act together. I said, Elton John, when he sings a song, he doesn't change the words every time he sings the yellow brick road. You know, he doesn't say, well, people are tired of the same words every time I sing that song. You go, no, that's the, that's the song. You can always write new material, but even that new material, it has to be kind of word for word. So when you craft your act, and you get your thoughts across. It's not just coming out of your head in order for it to land. You craft it. But the good news about that is you can have so much fun writing it because you know what you want to say and how you want to say it. So I started out in uh, already sort of ahead of the game, and I took a comedy class in New York. And right away, I knew I was just I was just hooked. Then I hooked up with Ron Poole at the pool party in 19... 97. And the next thing I knew, I was there at Don't Tell Mamas every Saturday night for 10 years. Every And more shows in between, sometimes on the weekends and whatever. That's where we met, Greg and I, you mm-hmm. and I. And we were introduced to uh, Broadway's Next Hit Musical and the Improv. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I'm 66. And when I look back at my all my years, those 10 or 12 years, were the highlight of my life. They and uh, and I just became a grandmother. That included. It was just a magical. It was like lightning in a bottle because it was such a creative era, and we all supported one another and rooted each other on. And that's not a common thing in comedy. No, I started doing stand up in Minneapolis a million years ago, and I felt like I was surrounded by mean-spirited, angry people. And so I expected New York to be worse. And then I started performing at the pool party at Don't Tell Mamas. And I was just shocked at how warm and supportive and truly friendly and a group of friends that that group was. And And still are today. You know, um, if I'm on Facebook and I see someone I literally haven't seen in 25 years, they'll say happy birthday, Nancy, from years ago at the pool party. And my friend Ron Poole um, at that time sort of made it a thing. If you were going to be in the pool party, you stayed. In other clubs in the city, people would go in, do their set, leave, go to another club, leave. And he said, not here. And it was a sold-out show in the middle of Times Square, a very coveted show to be in. So people were introduced to that kind of 
loyalty and supportiveness. Then we'd all go out for pizza and beer afterwards and make fun of each other and and have a ball. So that was my my big introduction to to comedy. And, and most of it was because I just loved I loved doing the comedy, but I loved the people. I loved everything about it. Well, the other thing that was great about that group of people or that hang, that community, was I think we helped create opportunities for each other, right? So, oh, I'm doing this show, come join me, or I need a stand-up, I need an MC. It, it was it was wonderful. But what I want to ask you next is describe your comedy using three or four words. Just choose three or four descriptive words or terms to describe your approach or your comedy? I would say positive, upbeat, self-depreciating, and edgy. Edgy in a palatable way. I always think you want to take people, I never want to be offensive. It's just not my style. I don't, I don't, it was tons of language in my act and I don't particularly talk about sex or anything, but I can take it right up to the line and not my quite favorite, course over. I, you know, I think edgy is an apt word, but it's, it's the softest form of Correct. edgy. Yes. Yes. That's you had right. a joke that I'm going to, I'm going to butcher, but you were a single woman at the time you've since married, but uh, you were talking about, finding out that other people had a partner in their life and you did not. And the conceit was on the bench because I think your son was in sports or something like that. Yes. And your bit about Stephen Hawking having two women fight over him when you couldn't get a date was edgy in that it was dealing with Stephen Hawking for who he was, but it was apt and it was about real emotion. Right. And it, it was really, making fun of me, mm-hmm. not making fun of Stephen Hawking. I'll give you an example. I just did a show last night, a very big show down here at the local comedy club. It was for the Marty Lyons Foundation. And we sold the show out practically. It was a very, very big show. And I was headlining. And I normally would never do new material. But I wrote this the night before. And I loved it. And I've been wanting to write something about gender. And you can tell it's a touchy subject, but it's one that I want everyone to be kind of comfortable with, especially at my age. So as you can understand, it's a delicate dance without offending people because I never would want to do that. Not making them the butt of the joke or gender the butt of the joke. So I had to dance around it. So do you want to hear it? This yeah. was the joke that I came up with. I said, um, it's a very confusing time. I talked about polyamorous. My daughter said her friend was polyamorous. And I said, now what the hell does that mean? She goes, it means, mom, that she can love several people at the same time. I said, in my day, we called that a slut. She said, well, that's poly shaming, mom. I said, yes, it is. Yes. It is. <laughs> and then I said, it's just everything is so confusing. I don't have that many birthdays left. I don't care. Be whoever you want. I'm with you. I just don't understand all the terminology. Michaela Cuomo, the daughter of Governor Cuomo, was interviewed. And she said that she's a demisexual. And I didn't know what that was. So I went on the Google 
and I looked up demisexual, which means she can only have sex and is only attracted to people that she has an emotional and intimate connection with. While I was on the Google, I said, I'm going to Google cisgender. Because I don't know what that is. That's bandied around a lot. So a cisgender is a person who identifies as the sex they were born as. So if you were born a woman and you identify as a woman, you're a cisgender female. I love it. Love it. All this time, I thought I was an old woman who loved her husband. But I'm not. I'm a demisexual who identifies as a cisgender female. Now I feel like somebody. You know, I was trying to change it at the end. At my age, they would expect me to say, isn't that ridiculous? Or isn't that stupid? Or isn't that, you know, but... Every generation, so in my act now, I try to show the generation of my father, the greatest generation, how much they drank, and they had dangerous-sounding drinks, and we're drinking Pinot Grigio, and they had stingers, Alabama slammers, the Harvey Wallbanger. Now they call it the Harvey Weinstein. It's an ugly little drink. If you have water, you're screwed. So, But I say, see how different his generation is than my generation and how different my generation is to your generation. But I do it through examples of the comedy. So um, my daughter-in-law just had a baby. So now I talk about when I had a baby that compared to my mother. You know, my mother was like, they knocked me out. I was in the hospital for 10 days, vacation. So I did it once a year for seven years so I could get some time off. Then it was me trying to do natural childbirth, which my mother thought was insane. And now my daughter-in-law was doing a home birth. I go, what are we, Little House on the Prairie? Like, what is going on? But it's just each generation is different. So this whole thing about gender, I'm just introducing as this is just a new generation coming up and finding their own way of being in the world. That's awesome. And we will be back in your world in just a minute or two. Uh, with Travels with Triggs. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. And we are back, Travels with Triggs, with author, stand-up comedian, and pageant winner, Miss Senior New York, Nancy Witter. So, Nancy, we were just talking about the fact that you are already headlining at clubs and you moved to North Carolina how long ago uh, about 18 months ago that's amazing so, was it hard or yes. were there challenges cracking a new market yes yes um they didn't really know who I am it's a it's a it's a very different market their sense of comedy is a little different when you go outside New York City um, not every place in the country is a comedy club. Very, as a matter of fact, a few people do. A lot of it is in theaters. Um, they had a different way of sorting out their comedy. They all had a group that was already set. But I just started doing open mics. You know, well, it's very humbling. It's very humbling because you have to say, they don't know who I am. You just can't open the door and say, hi, I'm new here, but I'm, a, you know, a, a, in New York, they love me. I'm sure you will too. You have to... Build it right from the start. That's the bad news. The good news is that if you've been doing comedy professionally for 25 years and you go to an open mic and you have three minutes, you kill out of the block. And from that one thing, you know, you pick the funniest three minutes you have in your act that you've done a thousand times. 
and act like it's new material, all of a sudden people were inviting me to be in their shows. A lot of them are in breweries and uh, restaurants, and they do have uh, Dead Crow Comedy Club down here, which is a beautiful club. And now I'm going to be teaching there. But when I first got here, I offered that. They said, we already have someone that does that. And thanks a lot for your offer. And I said, you know, and I'm also a comedian if you need someone to open or anything. They're like, thanks. Thanks for that. We'll keep that in mind. Um, Do you find, uh, are the other comedians, since you're living a a semi-retired lifestyle Mm -hmm. now, are the other comedians your age? Are they younger people? Does your age enhance? get you in front of that audience in a different way because they can relate to you more than younger comedians? Well, that's a great question. The way my comedy is crafted. So last night at this big fundraiser, I had seven or eight young 20 year olds, 22, 23, come up to me and fawn all over me. You're hilarious because I remind them of a grandmother or an aunt or, or someone um, and it's funnier because some of the stuff that I talk about is related to them. It's 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 sort of universal. It doesn't matter whether I'm making fun of my parents because they would make fun of their parents. It's sort of a universal thing. Um, get me getting frustrated with the new terms of today. They got that I was on their side that I wasn't poo-pooing it. I was blaming it on me. I'm like, I'm too old. I don't know what all this, I don't walk around with a dictionary. So just give me a minute, you know? And they appreciated that. Older people, so I'm very big on the Dell Web. Dell Web is a uh, developer who develops all these little developments all over the country, but especially in the South, for people over 55. I see, I'm too young for that. I I don't know who that is, Nancy. So thank you. Well, let me tell you something. Christmas future, my friend. Christmas future. Buckle up, baby. Pretty soon you're going to go, is there a Dell Web near you? So they have to give entertainment, but they can't have someone that's going to offend them. They don't want someone that talks politics. They don't want someone that curses or is terribly offensive. So I kind of fit that bill, and I'm in there. However, that gender joke that I told you, I probably wouldn't put in my act in front of a Dell Web because they would be too old to appreciate it. They would probably think, oh, that stuff is a bunch of who shot job, you know? They wouldn't appreciate it. But at a comedy club or anyone, 40, 50, you know, anyone that's in the, because it killed last night. And there were older people there and younger people there. Um, So um, a lot of my stuff is just great for the older people. But when I'm in a more open forum, like a comedy club, rather than a, a community of all like-minded people of a certain age, that's a certain act that you know they'd only like the certain things that I do. In a more open form, I can talk about gender, uh, you know, my outrageousness about drag queens. I go, you wouldn't want Robin Williams, do you like him? How about Mrs. Doubtfire, best drag queen ever? To try to make it more these sort of social norms or non-norms, easier to the general public I have more fun with than at these, these, you know, contrived kinds of developments. But uh, I think my comedy transcends both. It kind of transcends both because I try to bring in, I have a young spirit anyway. Um, All my friends have always been on the younger side, just because I do comedy. 
yeah, look at you, Greg. Yeah. You and I, I mean, we're practically best friends, and you're so much younger. That, well, <laughs> I mean, that's so much younger, but. Uh, we're just, so we'll, edit the, we'll edit you're out a kid. the qualifier. You're a kid. Um, you're a kid. So, so let's talk now. Comedy has led to you writing books, and uh, tell the tell the audience the titles of your books, how they can get them, and give us a yeah. basic synopsis. So, comedy is writing; it's writing and performing. And um, I was laid off. I worked at a bank. I was a single mother for twenty years. I've always worked, but in two thousand and eight, I was laid off, and I decided to go back to school. I'd never gone to college. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, um, but I never went to formal uh, college. So they gave me a big package. It was big to me. It wasn't a big package by anyone's standards, but it was big for me. And I went to NYU and got my professional certification in life coaching. And I always knew that. So now, Greg, everyone goes, NYU, I buy their sweatshirts online. I'm like, it's my alma mater. They're like, you got a certificate. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, that." my alma mater. So it's a uh, professional certification in life coaching. And it was an 18 month course. Um, and it cost quite a bit of money to go through it, but I had the time and the money from the package from the bank. And I always knew I wanted it as a credential and I did have clients and I enjoyed talking to clients, but mostly I like it for motivational speaking. So I do motivational speaking, particularly my niche is women over 50. And that motivated me to write a book. And the name of the book is Who's Better Than Me? And I said, that's what I want every woman to say to herself every day over anything small or large. If you park and get a good parking space, you just go, who's better than me? Look at that. If you cook a great meal, you taste it, you go, oh, that's delicious. Who's better than me? Because men do that all the time. They do it all. They're not even conscious of it. I said, you know, I could say to a woman, you know, what did you do today? She'd say nothing. I'd say, well, describe nothing. They go, what? I got up, I walked the dog, I made John breakfast, then I dropped the grandkids off at school, and then I went to work, and then I went food shopping during lunch. I came home, I made dinner, did two loads of laundry, walked the dog, visited with a sick friend, came home, two more loads of laundry, and went to bed. It was like nothing. I said, my husband puts the car in the garage and comes in and goes, ta-da, so you need a little more, ta-da, in your life. Give yourself credit for everything you do. And that led me to write the book. Some of it is memory. It's sort of a cautionary tale. You know, I did it this way, so it was not good. So you should do it that way. Um, Part of it is memoir. Part of it is funny. Most of it is, I like to call it, an encouragement. And it is, you're only 50. You're not dead yet. You still got a lot of life in those bones. Give yourself some credit. It's so much fun when you can see the light side of things instead of the dark. Oh, look at me. I'm getting wrinkles and no one's interested. No one wants to go out with a 50-year-old. I said, well, I wouldn't want to go out with a 50-year-old that talk like that either. But if you go, who's better than me? Let's go dancing. Let me see. I'm going to do comedy for the first time, which I'm teaching older people comedy and veterans. Find out what you're made of in the last quarter of your life. Now you can do it. You have less time to live. So if you make a mistake, how long are you going to have to live with that? I always said, I got married, remarried at 50. I said, if that doesn't work out, 
How long am I going to have to live with that mistake? I married Jimmy Witter in 1983. That was a life sentence. So because you have less time to live with these mistakes, it doesn't matter. And the older you get, the more you realize that your time is running out. If you want to do something, do it now. So the name of the book is uh, Who's Better Than Me? A Guide to Living Happily Ever After by Nancy Witter. And you can get it on Amazon. And I'm working on a new book that I hope to have published soon. And I'm not quite sure of the title, but the two working titles are Don't Call It Gray, Call It Platinum. And other ways to embrace the candle on the cake with dealing with that. Because my hair, this is my natural color. And for years, people said, when in my 40s, you really have to diet, Nancy, that gray hair. And I go, it's not gray, it's platinum. And they'd go, platinum? All right, that's what you want to call it. I go, but that's kind of what it is. They're like, nice word for gray. I said, well, I'm calling it platinum. So that's where that came from. And the other title is, we're not dead yet, but we're getting closer. So make every day count. And that's more about taking chances and about what you do in the last leg of your life. So I'm 66. I I probably have 20 more years in me. And, you know, out of them, probably, probably five might be not so pretty. So what you want to do is say, what are the challenges of this era? Got to clean out a family home. A lot of people downsize or they move entirely to a new place like I did. And what are the challenges and how do you meet them? And what's the best way to sort of see it? And I want it to be, I'm hoping it is going to be a very funny look at your old age. Because this one thing is true, Greg, and I think you'll agree with me because you're an improv guy. It sounds so corny and it sounds like such a cliche, but it is absolutely true. The only thing that you can control is your attitude. Mm-hmm. Remember um, Victor, the guy that wrote, um, oh, he was in the Holocaust. I can't think of his name, but he wrote that great book in the concentration camps. He said, I can't control anything. I have no control, but I can control how I feel about it. I can control my attitude. I can cheer up the guy next to me. I can, I can try to do what I can do. And that's kind of the theme of what that book is about. That is wonderful. And I will tell you, Nancy, any show that takes us from comedy clubs in New York City to an inspiring (laughs) quote from someone who survived the Holocaust, single motherhood, um, that's a good show for me. Uh, Folks, we are going to have Nancy Witter back because you have to hear the story of how she became Miss Senior New York. But that's another episode. Thank you for joining us, Nancy. And everyone, thank you for listening to Travels with Triggs. Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? Travels with Triggs.